How's everybody doing? We doing okay? All right, so when we got here tonight, uh, our volunteers started trickling in. Here's what I asked them. I'm like, Let, let's, just, let's just get a visual of how your day was. Was it a this day, this day, or this day? So everybody, was it a this day, this day, or this, this day? One, two, three, go. We've got, okay, all right. I don't see a ton of these. That's good, that's good. Well, guys, we're, we're glad we're, you're here. Welcome back to the gathering. We're in our second week of our nine to five series. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Andy. I'm the young adult pastor here at Crossings. And if I haven't, I would love to meet you before you leave tonight. Uh, so make sure you find me afterwards or I'll try and find you. But we just want to make sure that uh, we know you here. That's one of our goals at the gathering is to create a place where you belong and you are known. And so we want to make sure that you, you feel plugged in uh, if you want to do that. So here, this is a series we're in nine to five. The reason we're doing this series, if you weren't here last week, is because most of our lives are spent working. From nine to five, we threw out this last week, is that the, uh, the average American spends 90,000 hours at work in their life. 90,000 hours. And I, then I looked it up again this year, uh, another study this week that said if you can press all of those 90,000 hours into back-to-back-to-back increments, it's anywhere between 10 to 13 straight years of work. That's a lot. That is a lot of time. And so last week, we wanted to start this series by reshaping and reframing how we think about work. And so last week, we talked about three specific things. And we looked at Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3. And here are our three main points from last week. I just wanted to get them out here in case you weren't here. Number one is we talked about the fact that work is good. That God is a worker. When you look at the creation account, God is working. He is creating. And at the, on the seventh day, what did he do after he worked? He rested. All right? And then we, so we, we, we know because God worked that it is good. And that we were, as human beings were created in his image. And so it would make sense that as he created humans, man and woman, that work would be a part of our DNA. And we see that in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, where it says, God took Adam and placed him in the garden to work it and keep it. Now, here's the trick. In Genesis 2, 15, guess what has not happened yet? The fall. Sin has not entered the world, which means God put Adam and Eve to work before sin corrupted everything. And so work is God's perfect design for humans to thrive, Okay, we're, we're, it's in us. We, we want to do, we want to create, we want to make something of our lives. And it makes sense because God, God created work and it is good. He created us for work. And then we finished up with the idea that in chapter three of Genesis, we do see the fall. And part of the consequence of the fall of man and the sin entering into the world is that work is corrupted. Work becomes hard. Work becomes painful. It's, re, it's referred to as, God said, now you will work and toil and sweat, and it will be hard. And it was kind of a hard note to end on, so we didn't end on that. We brought it back to the, the coming Jesus, where he says, I will come and I will make all things new. I won't just lift the curse. I will actually make everything new. And we read in Isaiah 65 that God is going to put us to work and we will enjoy our labor. And so there is work before the fall, and there will be work in heaven when we are with the Lord. And so that's what we talked about, the work is good, that you were made for work, and that work is corrupted, but Jesus is redeeming it, and as Christians, 
we get to take part in Jesus' redeeming effort as we work our nine to fives. So that's where we were last week. This week, I want to start with this quick story. My first job. My first job right out of college was in St. Louis, Missouri. Anybody ever been to St. Louis? It's a lot, it's a lot like Oklahoma City. Like it's a big little, t- it's a little big town. Like everywhere you go, you kind of, you see somebody that you know. Like I'd go to a Cardinals game and I'd see like three or four people from my circle at the Cardinals game. You know, there's millions of people there, but I, you'd see your people. Uh, kind of like Oklahoma City, you watch a Thunder game and you might see your friend on TV because uh, we live in a small, big city. And that's a lot like St. Louis. And I loved St. Louis. It was great. It was a great sports town. I loved the Cardinals. I grew up loving baseball. Um, I loved where I lived in St. Louis. I loved being there. And so I was there for about a year and a half. And then all of a sudden, the organization that I worked for said, you know what? We're going to move you to Oklahoma City. We need you down there to run the chapter there in Oklahoma City. And I stopped in my tracks. I'm like, wait, what? But life is good here. I like what I do. I like who I'm around. I like my girlfriend that I have in St. Louis. <laughs> but my boss said, no, we're going to move you to Oklahoma City. Now, if you don't want to go to Oklahoma City, that's fine. But we don't have a spot for you in St. Louis. We don't need you here. We need you in Oklahoma City. And so after I'm, I'm flying through this story, this is a whole other uh, story that goes along with it. But here I am in Oklahoma City. <laughs> And for the first five to six months, I looked and asked God every question of why he would move me to this godforsaken city. (laughs) Honestly, I'm just being truthful. I've been here like almost 20 years now. I love it. But when I first moved here as a 23-year-old, I was like, God, what are you doing? I don't know anyone here. It's in the deep south, according to this Iowa kid, right? Like Oklahoma's deep south to me. I was like, I don't have cowboy boots. I, like, I'm not prepared to live in Oklahoma. And I was mad. Like, I was just, I was angry. I, he, God was removing me from somewhere that I loved. Um, my relationship with my girlfriend ended. I moved here, and I didn't know one single person. And that's not hyperbole. I didn't know a single soul here. And for the first five to six months, I threw a hissy fit. I just threw, I threw a tantrum. I was bitter. I was angry because what I was feeling is that one, God was making a mistake. And two, this company, this organization was stealing from me all that I loved and all that I liked. And I think sometimes that's kind of where we land in this season of our life. Right, You're going nine to five. You get up early. You get to work on time. You work hard. You maybe get an hour for lunch. And then you got to come back for another four more hours, which feels like eight hours. And then you get off at like five or six o'clock. You get home, change clothes. And by then you're like, man, it's almost time for bed. And so all of a sudden you see this routine start happening in your life where it's almost like all work does is just take from me. It's just, it's, it's taking and taking and taking. And we start to get bitter towards our job. Maybe you get bitter like I was towards God for doing and placing you where he placed you. Because we give up so much of ourselves to our work, don't we? Or at least it feels that way sometimes. We're giving up our best years of our life, right? Our 20s, our our early 30s. We're giving away all this time that I could be traveling. I could be you know, working in San Diego and then moving to Chicago. And then, you know, like that's what we think. 
that work is what's tying us down. And we talked last week about how actually real life is nine to five. That is your real life. But it seems or maybe feels that all the work that it does is take from us. And all we have to show for it is a paycheck. And maybe when you're my age, a few gray hairs. In many cases, we feel like we're giving up so much of ourselves so other people can be successful or someone else can have a deeper bank account. So what do we do when we, so what do we get out of work? Is it just money? Is that the goal? Is that the only thing that your work offers you? And I don't know if you've thought about these things, but I've thought about these things. Are we looking at work and is money really the only thing it offers us? Or does it just take from us and take from us? My question tonight is how do we leverage our work for what matters most? How do we partner with God in accomplishing what he wants to do in and through us? So last week we talked about a biblical view of work and that work is good. Tonight we're gonna talk about how work is good for you. And it's, <laughs> and it's actually a training ground for God to grow you and mature you. Because I'm, I'm gonna make the argument tonight not only is work good for you, but you can get amazing things from your work, more than money. Yes, money's good, we all need it. We need to pay down the student loans, we need to pay the bills, the water, keep the electricity. Like, that's great, it, it offers that. But I wanna argue tonight, from a biblical perspective, that your job, your nine to five, actually offers more than you're actually getting right now, and I wanna help you leverage your job for what matters most. So if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Timothy chapter four. We're gonna start out here. We're gonna dance all over the scriptures tonight, but this is gonna, where we're gonna start. 1 Timothy chapter four, verses six, seven, and eight, because what we see here is that we're given an instruction, and then we're gonna look at a couple more scriptures from Ephesians, James, and 2 Peter, which will be on the screens, about a theme that we see God working out. All right, so 1 Timothy 4, 6, 7, and 8 says this. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ, being trained in the words of the faith and of good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent or silly myths. Now underline this part. Rather, train yourselves for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promises for the present life, but also for the life to come. And so what Paul is saying here is, hey, it's good to work out. It's good to be ripped. It's good to be in shape. But that's only temporarily good. What's really good, both for this life and for the next life, is godliness. So train yourselves in godliness. You see, I'm gonna make the argument tonight that God's greatest training ground for you is your job between nine to five. That this is where God does the greatest work in your life to train you in godliness. Yes, that's where you spend most of your days. And so it would be ridiculous of us to look at God as sovereign and good for you and say, he doesn't care what happens in my life between nine and five. God's just gonna, he's gonna let me make money. He's gonna let me chase my career. He's not interested in my nine to five. No, he is greatly, deeply interested in your nine to five because he's greatly and deeply interested in you. Your job 
is God's greatest training ground for godliness. We see a pattern throughout scripture. And this is what God does. He brings us to a new life in Christ. It's called birth, right? That's where we get the born again Christian idea, right? That we're, we're followers of Jesus. We give our lives to Jesus. We submit our will and our life to the authority of Jesus and say, I need you. I love you. You're my king. You're my savior. I will follow you all the days of my life. We're born into a new family. And then what he does next is he grows us to maturity. That's his pattern. New birth, growth, maturity. And so what we see in 1 Timothy is this idea of growing. Rather, train yourselves for godliness. I want to show you three verses. Ephesians 4, 11 through 15. We've got it up on, on the screens here. Paul is writing to the, 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 uh, the church in Ephesus. And he, this theme is maturity. You see the words constantly of to grow and to mature into the fullness of Christ. It says this, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in the faith and in knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Next slide. Then we will no longer be infants, right? We're growing up. When, we give our, when we're born into our faith, when we give our life to Christ, we are infants in our faith, all right? So he says, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. God has a pattern New birth, growth to maturity. We see in James chapter one, where James says, do not be nearly hearers of the word, but doers of the word. You see, James is saying, as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, we have no business just hearing and not doing. We have to work it out. We have to train ourselves in godliness. Hearing it is not training. When we hear it and we do it is training. Second Peter 1, 5 through 8, we see a pattern of eight things that we're told. Add these to your faith, and they will keep you from being ineffective. Let's read. It's on the we got the screen here. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities, if you're growing in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see the pattern here? We could, we could pull a whole bunch more. I cut it at three, but we got new birth, followers of Jesus. We are to grow and be mature. That's the pattern that we see God doing. And so once again, your work is the greatest training ground to grow you and mature you in your faith. God knew we needed work. That's why he put Adam to work. He knew it was good for him. And as we train and grow in godliness, we, work becomes our primary training ground. It's where we're placed into a situation out of our control. 
I want you to think about that for one second. Where you work is not under your control. What a wonderful place to be trained up in godliness when it's something that you're not in control of. And so what I want to look at tonight is I want to give you four, like I told you last week, where we talked about the theology of work, 30,000 foot view. Tonight, I'm going to give you four things that are boots on the ground, as practical as I could get about how your work can provide for you and give you things that you never thought of. And it all pertains to it being a training ground, okay? The first one is this. Work is God's training ground, number one, to learn humility. Work is God's training ground to learn humility. Philippians 2, 3, 4, and 5 says this. Paul says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the other. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. You see, Christ's mindset was humble. He didn't come rolling into town saying, I'm the son of God, bow down, do what I say. What did he do? He came in the likeness of a child. Humble. And he came not to be served, but to serve. Humble. You see, what work can do for us is it teaches us how the world actually works. Have you realized that yet? That your work actually teaches you how the world actually works. College doesn't teach you how the world actually works. It might prepare you in certain specific areas, but that college is not real. Okay, College, it, it, is a, it is a utopic social environment where you are in control. You control your schedule. You control your time. It's not real. But work teaches us how the world really works. Work teaches us that we don't know everything. Humility. Being able to admit that you don't know everything is a wonderful, wonderful godly trait. Work teaches us to submit and take instruction. For some of us, that's very difficult. But at your work, you have a boss or a board of directors, or whatever it may be in your situation, but you have someone you report to that will tell you what you need to do and how to do it and how much to do it. And to be able to follow them and be a good employee, you need to learn humility, to be submissive to that boss. Instead of every time your boss says something, that pride rises up, be like, that's not the way I'd do it, right? I know about you, but when I was 24, 25, that's exactly what I thought. I thought like, that's not the way I would do it. That's totally, that's not gonna work. Oh my gosh. I need to learn humility and believe me, talk to me afterwards, I've learned humility. That same job that God moved me here uh, back in 2001, in year two, I almost got fired from it. My boss told me, hey Andy, you either change the way you do things or we're not gonna renew your contract in two months. Whoa. Talk about humbling. To realize that I was not the end-all, be-all of all knowledge and wisdom. That's a good thing. One conversation I had with my boss at one point in my career, it shook me to my core. I had a direct report. They reported to me, and I worked with this person for about two years. 
And every week, it was a grind to work with this person. They didn't listen. They would not take critique. They would not take helpful advice. Everything that I said to them, they took as a personal offense, that I didn't like them, that they were somehow worthless because they weren't doing it. And everything, it, was just, it was just this every time. And so I went to my boss one day, and, we, and we'd had this conversation multiple times. And I said, I don't know what to do. Every time we meet and I try and develop this skill or this, or this area of their professional life, they just they shun it. And, they, and there's, it's just, it's bad. And it's ruining our relationship. And I'll never forget this moment. My boss looked me in the face and he said, stop developing them. Just stop. Don't do it anymore. You're wasting your time trying to help them and develop them. Now, that was a huge relief for me. I was like, oh, great, thank you. But here's why it stuck out to me, because I realized that these are conversations that actually happen. And I thought, man, I don't, I don't ever want to my boss to have that conversation about me. That I'm not humble enough to take instruction. Stop developing Andy. He's, he, he's not worth it. He's not coachable. He's not teachable. The only reason you're not teachable or you're not coachable is because you're not humble. Your pride drives you because my pride drove me almost to the end of a job two years in. And in that moment, it dawned on me that I forever want to be teachable. We can't ever get to the place where we're like, I know everything, don't touch me, don't talk to me, I don't wanna listen. No, we can learn something from everybody. And so work is God's training ground to learn humility. So wherever you are, learn humility. Number two, work is God's training ground to learn self-discipline. And you're like, great, Andy, that sounds like a lot of fun. But here's the reality. Like I, I kind of ripped on college a minute ago, I'm gonna rip on it again. The one thing college does not teach you is self-discipline. In fact, you can choose your class to start at 2 p.m. if you want. You don't have to get out of bed and you don't have to go to bed. You can do whatever you want, whenever you want. But here's the wonderful blessing of work from nine to five is it forces you to bring self-discipline into your life. It doesn't just let you do whatever you want. Proverbs, this is one of Proverbs' favorite topics, but, but this one specifically, Proverbs 25, 28. It says, like a city whose walls are broken is a person who lacks self-control. What does that mean? What, what, what do you mean a city's walls are broken? Here's what this means. It means a, like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. If you don't have self-control, if you have not learned self-discipline, your life will be chaos. And things will come in and out of your life in any way, shape, or form whenever they want. Because there are no boundaries to your life. There is no self-discipline of like, I'm not gonna do this, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna stop doing it at this time and then I'm gonna go to bed. I'm gonna put my phone down. I'm gonna get up, I'm gonna go work out. Like there, there's self-discipline is a value of scripture and therefore of God. Like a city whose walls are broken through a person who lacks self-control. Titus 1.8 says, rather, this is talking about what is uh, to be a leader in the church. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, holy, and disciplined. You see, work causes you to submit to self-discipline. This is a wonderful trait. 
not just for you as an employee, but for you as a follower of Jesus to learn what it looks like to submit. Because as followers of Jesus, what are we actually saying? That we're submitting to Christ. We're submitting to the authority of Jesus. That what God's word says, I will do. Where we run into hard times in our faith, and most likely in your life, is when we have a hard time submitting our will to someone else. If we can't submit our will to a physical boss who we see every day and talk to regularly, how are we ever going to submit to a God that we cannot see? So let your work be a training ground for self-discipline. Allow yourself to submit in humility to self-discipline. Because when you get a job out of college, man, your schedule changes, your habits change, you have to grow up. I worked with a guy one time that I hired as an, as an intern uh, straight out of college. It, it was a summer, he just graduated, was my intern. And the crazy thing was, was um, he would stay up till 3.30 in the morning, every night. You know why? Because he was on a professional video gaming team. True story. That's what he did. Like he'd live his life and at 11.30, his online gaming team would practice from 11.30 till 3.30 a.m. every day. And as my intern, I was like, oh boy, here we go. It is time to grow up. And so what I did is I had him come in at eight o'clock every morning. Not because I needed him to, but because he needed to learn self-discipline. That it was time to grow up, get his life in order so that he could be a good employee. And so that he understood what it was like to give over an area of his life in submission to authority. So that's a good thing that only work can do. Number three, work is God's training ground to learn how to work hard. To learn how to work hard. I don't know if you guys have seen this, but I've seen it on Instagram several times. This, this picture is like usually have a chalkboard or a whiteboard. And it's a list of, it says 10 things you don't, you don't need talent to do. You guys ever seen that? Like those kind of lists? Let me read this one to you. It says this, 10 things you don't, you don't need to write this down, but 10 things that don't require talent. Being on time, work ethic, effort, body language, attitude, energy, passion, being coachable, doing extra, and being prepared. Five out of those 10 things could all be filtered down to Work hard. And so what a wonderful opportunity we have from nine to five every day to train ourselves to work hard. Now you may be saying, well, Andy, this doesn't sound very scriptural. Oh, I'm glad you said that. Because in Proverbs, this is one of Solomon's favorite topics is working hard. Let me give you a couple. Proverbs 14, 23 says, all hard work brings profit but mere talk only leads to poverty. Proverbs 13, four says a sluggard's appetite, the, a lazy person's appetite is never filled, but the desires of the diligent are fully satisfied. Proverbs 20, verse four, sluggards do not plow in season. So at harvest time, they look, but find nothing. And lastly, Proverbs 6, six says, look to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. One of the greatest blessings of your 20s that every young person should have is a job you hate. It is. 
Maybe you're like, amen, Andy, I'm living that life right now, but it ain't no blessing. You know what? It is. Because someday you won't have that job. But in this job right now, you can learn how to work hard and create self-discipline and be humble because you'll be set up for the next one. And you'll appreciate it and give thanks. You see, this idea of working hard, work ethic, it's not like tomorrow morning you can just flip the work ethic switch and say, I'm going to start working hard from now on. Like It doesn't work that way. It's a slow rise into working hard. You have to make constant choices to work hard. I'll give you an example. I hope my son never watches this, but one of my sons, we, we told him, hey, we're going to send you to camp this summer, you and your sister. And he was like, yes, I love it. I, you had a, he had a great time last summer. He wants to go again, super fired up. He's like, yeah, I can't wait. When is it? June. Okay, awesome. And then my wife, because she wants to train my son in godliness, and we're trying to train him to work hard and have a work ethic, she said, well, you know what, though? I think this summer it's going to be really good for you guys to help pay for summer camp. In an instant, he says, you know what? I don't really need to go to camp. <laughs> True story. He's like, I don't, and he's really good. He's like, I don't want, I don't want to be a, a financial burden on you guys. <laughs> I mean, come on. I mean, I, that's good. But I knew what it is. He didn't want to work hard. He didn't want to work hard. And so someday, he is going to have to learn that. And you guys, from every day, from nine to five, have an opportunity to train yourselves in working hard, in creating work ethic. And we're going to get into this more next week, but your work ethic is also your witness. If you're the sluggard in your office, no one cares what you believe. They don't care because you're lazy. They have to work hard because you don't work hard. And so what Solomon talks about when it comes to building work ethic and working hard actually fuels your witness. And so it is important. It's godly to have a work ethic. And then lastly, and this is going to be for those of you who are in a job that you don't like. Let this be a training ground to learn skills. To learn skills. By being faithful at what you do, learn skills. Because here's the deal. If you don't like your job, if you don't feel appreciated at your job, if you don't feel like this is your passion or your calling and you're just wasting away at your job, guess what? Don't assume you will be in that position forever. I think sometimes when we, when we get into a situation we don't like, we just kind of get lulled to sleep and like, I'll just, I'll just put in my time until this is over, if it ever is over. But I can't quit because I need to pay my bills. I need to get that debt down. No. Use that job. Romans 8.28. We talked about it just several weeks ago. God is working all things out for the good of those who love him. And that includes your terrible job. He's working it out. He's using it not just for your good, but to conform you into the image of Christ. There are things that can only happen in a terrible job that you will learn nowhere else. 
And so embrace that moment. I'm not saying you have to smile and enjoy it, but I'm saying you don't need to assume that you'll be there forever. If you feel stuck, here's what you do. Grow skills. If you feel stuck in your job, if you can't move vertically in your company, right? There's a ceiling. Or maybe you don't want to. Or it's not happening as fast as you want. You can't grow vertically, grow horizontally with your skills. Make it a priority never to be bored in your job. And what I mean by that is say yes to everything. Take the job no one else wants. Volunteer to do things you don't know how to do so that you'll learn how to do it. Because you probably will not be in that job forever. But when you leave that job, you will have skills that will set you up for your next job. And we see this all through scripture. I want to pick out just very quickly two characters in the Old Testament when we see this. Two guys, one who his entire life was out of his control and one who worked in obscurity and anonymity. But both in their obscurity, both in their anonymity, and both in their in not having control of their trajectory grew skills. And God prepared them in their season of obscurity for what he was going to do in another season. Joseph is one. The story of Joseph and, the, and his, his beautiful coat of all colors. I mean, think about this dude's life. Here he is, the youngest brother. You know what, now that I think about it, both these characters are the youngest brother. How many youngest brothers do we have in here? Y'all need to listen up, here we go, this is for you. So Joseph is his dad's favorite kid. And in his youth and immaturity, he goes out and he tells all of his brothers, hey, I'm dad's favorite. And I had this dream that actually I'm going to rule over all of you. And guess what? That didn't land well with the older brothers. And so you know what they did? They sold him into slavery, out of his control. All of a sudden, Joseph's life was out of his control, sold into slavery. They took him and they sold him to this man named Potiphar to be his servant out of his control for a second time. Not only was he sold into slavery, a job that he did not want, he was sold to a man to be a servant, a job that he did not want. And while he was there, he did such a great job. He grew skills and he worked hard that this man Potiphar put him in charge of his entire household. And then through Potiphar's wife and a false accusation, Potiphar finds himself in prison for years, forgotten out of his control. He made connections in prison. He networked, never stopped. One of my favorite lines in the story of Joseph is, but God was with Joseph. So if you have a job that you don't like, if you have a job or a career that you don't feel like you have control over, look to Joseph. God was with Joseph and God is with you where you are right now. But here's the cool part of Joseph's story is the skills that Joseph learned all throughout the jobs that he did not ask for and that he did not want set him up for what God ultimately wanted to do through him. And that was become the vice president of the country of Egypt and ultimately save his family in Israel who was starving to death because of famine. So his brothers, the ones that sold him into slavery, come to Egypt because Egypt has a ton of food and Joseph is wise enough to stockpile food. You know why? Where did he learn how to run a household? At Potiphar's house. 
he grew his skills. And the skills that he learned, God used to save his people. The second one very quickly is, is David, of David and Goliath. Think about David, youngest brother. He's out keeping the sheep, fighting off wild animals. The prophet Samuel comes to their house and says, hey, God wants a new king of Israel. Bring in all your boys. And so Jesse brings all of his boys up, lines them up in front of this prophet named Samuel. And he says, here, my boys, which one's going to be king? And Samuel looks and says, oh, it must be that one, the oldest, Eliab. He's tall and handsome. He looks like a king. But God said, no, that's not my man. And he looks and every single one, God says, no, that's not my man. Nope, that's not my man. And Samuel looks at Jesse and says, are, are you sure these are all your boys? He's like, oh, oh yeah, David. We got one more. Like David was so obscure, his dad forgot him. And now I've had some of my dad moments, never forgot a kid yet. But the prophet of Israel, God's prophet, came to his house and David did not earn an invite but that's who God wanted. Because in obscurity and anonymity, God was preparing him. The crazy thing about David's story is it took about 15 years before he got the call to be king or until he actually became king. We gotta be patient. Both Joseph and David were incredibly patient. And God was working all things out for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. So use your work as a training ground to learn humility, learn self-discipline, learn hard work, and learn skills. So what do we do is I want to give you three questions just to ponder and think about when it comes to your work and your job. Number one, where do I need to submit my attitude? Where do I need to learn to submit in humility so that I can train myself in godliness so that when God calls me, I know what it feels like to submit my will to his and be obedient because I've done it a million times at work. Even when my boss asks something that I don't want to do, I don't think is a good idea, whatever, submit, learn to take orders because that will lead into your faith. That when God finally says, this is what I want you to do. You're like, done, I can do that. I know how to submit my will to you. Secondly, where do I need to learn self-discipline? Where in your life, what area of your life is chaos? Maybe it's your nighttime routine. Maybe it's your screen time. Maybe it's how much you play video games. Maybe it's how much you spend on Instagram. I don't know what it is. But what area of your life do you need to rein in and train yourself in self-discipline? Maybe at work, it's just getting there on time every day. You just need to get, on, get to work on time every day for a month. Train yourself in self-discipline. And then lastly, ask yourself this, am I known as a hard worker? If I were to ask my coworkers, if I were to come to your job and say, hey, is so-and-so a hard worker, what would they say? Because I'll be honest, and we're gonna talk about this, like I said, more next week. Your work is your witness. How you are viewed at work has gospel and eternal implications. Work is good, and it's good for you. Not only has God made you for work, but God uses it to mature and grow you so that you will be equipped for every good work. And let me finish with this. I was bitter 
when I moved to Oklahoma City for five to six months. And I didn't read my Bible for five to six months because I threw a fit. I told you, I, th I threw a hissy fit. I was in full-time ministry and I didn't read my Bible for six months because I was bitter and angry at God for moving me to Oklahoma. But here's what got me out of it. I realized that my view of where God had placed me had overtaken my understanding of his sovereignty and providence. That I forgot that he is for me and I forgot that he loves me and I forgot that he has a plan and a purpose that he is gonna work out for me. And as soon as I got over myself and put my gaze and my mind back on Christ, that's when God started moving in ways that if we had more time, I would tell you, but we're out. And so whether you love your job or you hate your job, allow God to use it as your primary training ground for godliness. Ask him, God, how would you use my job to train me in my faith? So we're gonna go into 120 seconds as usual. I wanna ask you to ask yourself those questions. Where do I need to submit my attitude? Where do I need to learn self-discipline? And am I a hard worker at my place of employment? So we'll give you 120 seconds, then we'll continue our worship.